Hey there, welcome to this uh, new episode of the Mortal Yogi podcast. It's just this me this week, and uh, I thought this week um, I'd cast myself back, my memories back to my first teacher training. Um, any yoga teacher's first teacher training is uh, is so special. Um, it's a wonderful time to uh, dive into a topic that uh, that you learn and um, uh, be a child again. Uh, the learning environment in itself is um, is special. As adults, we you know we get into jobs and families and responsibilities, and the yoga teacher training environment um, is one of many opportunities in life where. Uh, you can kind of cast all of that aside. And uh, it's so nice being a student, uh, not uh, being responsible um, for, you know, for whatever other responsibilities in life you have. And uh, and uh, uh, I learned so much in my training. And um, what I want to focus on today is what I wish I had in my training um, um, that I missed and severely missed and would um, propose that it, these are elements which are really important when you are considering thinking about um, uh, your first training. My first training um, had all, had many of the kind of classical elements, a, a uh, really charismatic, experienced um, teacher. Um, I knew him quite well before I began. And um, I knew many of the people who were going to be on the training before I began because I was in a studio and we practiced uh, together quite a lot. Mm. And... um, so when we came together, we'd taken time out of our jobs, our families. Um, uh, we had um, a really beautiful community coming, to, coming together, which only blossomed. Um, and some of those people I still keep in contact, even though it was such a long time ago. And we've been friends um, uh, since then. The... Uh, the uh, training was intense. It was a month-long, um, 200-hour program. And um, it was done with a huge amount of love and enthusiasm and uh, uh, by the teacher-trainer at the time. And I remember coming out at the end of this program um, with a huge amount of that energy, with the, with volcanoes worth of enthusiasm and positivity um, and fire and burning ambition to be a yoga teacher and I've not stopped teaching um, since then. However, there's a lot of a lot of things I've learned since then. For example, the business of yoga, uh, for example, um, other styles of yoga, 
uh, meditation, more philosophy, and other ways of moving the body. But what I want to focus on today, as the big, if I look back to my first teacher training and um, what I didn't take away and, and what I've had to unlearn uh, from then, from that time, is um, variable anatomy. Variable anatomy is the anatomy of um, difference. It is the study, deep study, of how a, for example, a ballerina can do, why she can do, or he can do the things that they can do, compared to why a uh, sumo wrestler's body, how they are built in, in a way as the perfect sumo wrestler compared to how the ballerina is built as a perfect ballerina. I don't mean because of their training and because of their hard work. I mean their bone shapes, even though we all have the same number roughly of bones, and the same bones, the shapes of those bones are different. So if you, in your mind, think of ballerina and think of sumo wrestler, sumo wrestler, wide hips, probably quite stocky in stature, short arms and legs. Ballerina, you know, very narrow, very long arms and legs. And if you think about the demands of their... Um, of their sports on their bodies, a sumo wrestler is going to be very low on the ground, wants to have the low center of gravity, short legs are going to be very good for that, ballerina jumping up a lot, um, pirouetting, twisting, turning, jumping a lot, doesn't want to have a low sense of gravity, want to be light. Now if you as through our discussion, if you keep those two extremes, no one of us is generally a ballerina or a sumo wrestler coming into a yoga teacher training. But they are archetypes for the sumo wrestler on one side, stocky, short, wide. The ballerina, uh, long arms and legs, and huge range of motion in her pelvis due to the, her pelvis and design. Most of us in modern teacher trainings are taught in two ways, explicitly and implicitly, that all we have to do is practice and uh, we will all be able to make certain shapes. We will all be able to practice warrior one well. We'll all be able to practice handstand well. We'll all be able to progress through a syllabus from beginner poses, so-called beginner poses, to so-called advanced poses. We are all taught that we must learn these poses before we can teach them. We are all taught that there are safe ways to practice poses and unsafe ways to practice poses. We are given and taught how to do 
assists. We are taught um, implicitly that there are some people who are good and there are some people who are not so good at poses. And uh, by the language we use, for example, um, if you are... If you, uh, if you can sit on the floor without a block, please go ahead. If you need a block, please uh, use one. And you, we instantly set up, oh, there are people who don't need a block, and there are people who do need a block. And the assumption is, because some people are more open, bendy, more advanced, for example, who can sit on the floor, without a block, and others who are less bendy and probably more beginner. And uh, I spent the first several years of not only my yoga career, but before my yoga career, I was a Tai Chi and Qigong uh, teacher. And in that discipline also, there were rules of uh, expectations and rules of what does a beginner look like, look like, and what is a um, beginner look like compared to an advanced practitioner? But none of these disciplines in yoga is one. Consider that we are different. There are the sumo wrestler's body and the ballerina's body. Their bone shapes are different. Proportions are different. Orientations of sockets are different. Depths of sockets are different. And as soon as you know this, as soon as you learn this, it becomes blatantly obvious. There's no denying it that There's no way in hell that we will all do the same poses equally in quote-unquote well. There's no way that our, we will all be able to tuck our tailbone in some yoga poses. There is no way that our toes will all be able to point the same way in warrior one or warrior two or warrior three. There is no way that we'll be able to do a handstand straight compared to a banana handstand. There is no way that all of us, if we keep practicing, will be able to do work through a yoga syllabus from beginner to advanced poses. And I don't want to name any discipline or tradition of yoga today. And my my aim here is not to is not to criticize. But implicitly, simply by creating levels, there are, we say there are beginners and advanced people. There are those who can do it not so well, and there are those who are intermediate, and those who can do practices certain poses well. But if right from the get-go, and this is what I wish I had learned in my first 
yoga teacher training if right from the beginning it's not just an acknowledgement but a full-on embracing of anatomical skeletal variation is put at the core of the understanding of the study of the art then it has huge implications we don't for example if i come out of the yoga space for a second we don't expect short people to become top basketball players because they're too short we don't expect big people to become jock horse jockeys because they're too big we don't expect um small people to be props in rugby they're too small but in yoga we do we say that yoga is for everybody but as soon as we get on the mat most yoga teacher trainings and many yoga studios expect that with work we will all be able to do certain poses in certain ways or most poses in the same way as a teacher has learned them and teaches them this is in many ways a disaster i have four reasons why this is a disaster number 1 if students are taught and if teachers are taught that everybody can do a pose if they just practice well then when they cannot do the pose the assumption has to be that they are not practicing hard enough or they're too tight or too weak and there is no other there are no other options this means that there are people who are feeling good about their yoga and there are people who are feeling bad about their yoga there are those who can do it because there's their body allows it like the ballerina for ballet like the sumo wrestler for sumo but there'll be everybody else who doesn't have that body type who will feel disillusioned who will feel that they are not good enough who will feel that for whatever reason and they're not sure and maybe the teacher is not sure that yoga isn't happening for them and the result of this number 2 is that you now have a hierarchy of people who are bad at yoga people who are okay at yoga and people who are amazing at yoga the ones who are amazing can do the poses the ones who are intermediate never become good at it no matter how they practice and there's a whole aspect of anyone who goes to a yoga studio a whole 
community of people who have tried it, but yoga doesn't work for them. They can't seem to do poses the way that they are taught, and that the way that the advanced people, quote-unquote, seem to look. So, a lot of people get delusioned. There is a hierarchy, number two. Number three, people try really hard to get to poses and they injure themselves very badly sometimes. If they don't have the bones, they don't have the anatomy for the way that a pose is, is taught. And I hear this mainly uh, in people who have been in yoga for a long time, five years, 10 years, longer. And they start getting niggly uh, injuries. These injuries are often in the shoulders, in the knees, in the hips. And they're not sure why. They practice regularly, they practice hard just as hard as everybody else, and they don't seem to progress. Or they say things like, uh, I can't do poses how I used to. Or that one makes my shoulder hurt. Or I have knee issues. And there's some people who seem to never have them, and there's some people who just cannot do that and seem to get regularly injured. If you know that there are bodies who can do certain things and bodies who cannot do certain things from the get-go, this is completely avoidable. But if you assume that everybody is the same, as I was taught in my first teacher training, well, then the only reason why people cannot do things is because they are not practicing in the right way. So some get injured seriously, while others seem to sail through. Lastly, and this is talked about a lot in yoga, the cultish aspect of yoga, where people... Um, where people are easily um, manipulated by a teacher or by a uh, community is people realize or become to feel that or they lose their confidence in their ability to trust themselves to um, to know what to do. And they transfer um, ownership of, if you like, and transfer confidence and responsibility for their bodies over to other people. If the teacher is 
the only one who knows because they've been through a training or they're in a style where all you have to do is practice and all is coming to kind of quote on a famous yoga saying by a famous yoga teacher. Well, then if you are practicing and not all is coming, then massive question marks will pop up in your head and in maybe people you're practicing with's head and in your teacher's head. If it is assumed that everybody has the potential to do yoga poses. And when you cannot do them, a whole flurry of uh, doubt, flurries of doubt and sometimes even shame, certainly lack of a lack of confidence is, is inevitable. And this can be preyed upon and manipulated. Simple example is just going to endless workshops. Hip opening workshops would be an obvious one. But if you have the bones where your hips are not going to take you into lotus pose, going to a hip opening workshop is a complete waste of time. Complete waste of time. And many people spend many years going to workshops, seeing gurus who have the bones for a practice. And the guru doesn't recognize, or this rock star yoga teacher doesn't recognize that the people in that workshop don't have the same bone design as them. Just as a ballerina would look at a sumo wrestler and never expect that the sumo wrestler will do what she does. Just like a short person would never be expected to just keep bouncing the ball and eventually be able to slam dunk in the way that a, someone who's over two meters or six feet, seven feet tall would be able to. But in yoga, we don't have this understanding that we are all bone shape different. We have variable anatomy. The implications of me for this uh, several years leading up to and after that training were that I practiced like my hair was on fire. <laughs> As you can see I don't have much hair anyway. Maybe that's why. But if I if, I slowly began to get little injuries in my back and my knees, particularly, and my shoulders. Well, people who had the anatomy to keep on practicing nailed straight handstands and amazing backbends and seemed to progress through the three-level syllabus that we had into level two and level three, whereas I always, some basic poses I just couldn't do. There were others who dropped out, others who went to softer styles. And um, now looking back, there were some who, uh, who got disillusioned with yoga and dropped it. 
and wondered, always wonder, and probably still to this day, every now and again, why they never, and some of them practice really, really hard. We are extremely different at the bone level. Nothing to do with strength or passion or karma or energy or desire. And if we don't recognize this, we create disillusionment and hierarchy in yoga. We create a whole culture of this is a right way and a wrong way to do the pose. We create a, a culture of people who are good at it and bad at it. We injure people and we set up an environment and an atmosphere where we are open to manipulation and exploitation yoga is not a competitive sport where performance is all that's important where winning medals is important I don't mean to say and this is not a uh, Not to say that yoga is not difficult and some poses that you won't like, you should avoid. This is not an invitation to get necessarily stay away from the aspects of yoga which uh, the poses that uh, make you feel uncomfortable. But it is, it is, I think, really important that at your first yoga teacher training, if I could go back, not be presented as a, as is, as is, that if you keep practicing, you can do anything. That statement should be the context of that statement is that the spiritual aspect of the practice harmony and optimization of your health and of your mind is limitless we can really have incredible potential but not in yoga poses because some of us are some of us are shape A, some of us are shape B, some of us are shape C, etc., 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 etc. In the same way as you wouldn't have the sumo wrestler and the ballerina do have the same expectations for their movement, well, neither should we have that in yoga asana practice. This is means that we would have a far more uh, mature aspect a mature attitude right from the beginning and an, an attitude of exploration and openness 
this also means that yoga teachers are going to have to have a huge amount of humble pie. We don't know, as teachers, what our students are going to be able to do. And we have to accept that we won't ever know. But what I think we should learn in our first teacher training is that there are different bone types, bone shapes, who are coming into a yoga class. And when that is the case, there is no right and wrong way to do Chaturanga Dandasana, or Downward Facing Dog, or a handstand, or a warrior pose. There are many different ways. We don't know it all. We can be trained in this way. However, and that's what I would have liked to have known. Yoga is about health is about heart, health of body, health of mind. And if we can move away from the conception that there are good poses and bad poses, we can get back into what yoga is really about. That's what I wish I had learned much more about, much more of, in my first yoga teacher training. See you next time.